In a world where every second, every day, thousands of, if not millions of hours of content are being uploaded online for your consumption, it can be a bit hard to filter through what's worth checking out and what's not, even with automated recommendation programs in place. Luckily for you, this show is here to help find what content will hopefully spark joy. Hello, my name is Paulo, your human algorithm host, and this is the podcast where I bring you content creators that I have deemed worthy of being recommended for you. In case this is your first time listening, which it should be since this is the first episode of the podcast, unless you're from the future going through my back catalog of episodes, in which case, hi, I hope this doesn't seem too dated. Uh, The premise of this show is simple. As someone who has perhaps a few too many YouTube channels and podcasts I'm subscribed to, I clearly can't keep up with everything coming out. Some of these creators I'm subscribed to may have shifted their focus away from whatever it was I originally subscribed to them for or even stopped uploading altogether. Other times, the content recommendation algorithm buries their content for no discernible reason. In an effort to digitally declutter, I'm pulling a Marie Kondo and going through all my subscriptions to find which ones still spark joy. And I figured in the process, why not share with whomever may care to listen what content creators or are, or for the inactive ones, were, uh, making cool stuff worth sharing, and signal boost them. Over on Twitter, at Rex4UPod, each weekday I share one creator worth following, and then on the weekends I do a bit of a deeper dive into why these shows work and what their best pieces of content to start with are, as well as any other ways you can support them. In short, as your human algorithm, I present to you some content creators recommended for you. This week's theme for what I'm recommending for you, since this is our very first week of highlighting content creators I like, I figured why not go all the way back and talk about some of the most formative and influential content creators in my life that helped me get started on this content creation journey of my own. Obviously, limiting it to just five isn't an easy task, and every creator who I profile in the future will have had some influence over me, but these five can say for sure with certainty uh, completely shifted my worldview on what content could be and the impact it could have, even if I didn't know it at the time. In fact, I'd say looking back at my history of consuming content online, these chart a pretty accurate journey throughout what content I was into, given whatever era of my life they were consumed in, uh, and at one point or another were my actual favorite content creator, no holds barred. While most, though not all, creators I'll recommend in this episode are still active, for this episode, there are definitely a couple of creators who may be on an indefinite hiatus, or even completely stopped uploading, or their content may have shifted over the years. But regardless whatever their current content form is, the impact that these content creators had on me at the time that I discovered them and fell in love with their voices and podcasts uh, left a mark on me. Let's hop right in, shall we? First up, we have PBS Idea Channel. Here's an idea. Super Mario Brothers is the world's greatest piece of surrealist art. Here's an idea. Math might not actually exist. Here's an idea. Homestuck is the internet's Ulysses. Here's an idea. Doctor Who is a religion. And for anyone who's worried, we promise this episode is spoiler free. Here's an idea. What if you took elements of pop culture that we consume, video games, television, movies, even the subjects we learn about in school, and then after doing research into philosophy, psychology, sociology, and other social sciences, reframe the way you think about these seemingly mundane artifacts to have more meaning than you initially realized? Well, my friends, what you'd get is PBS Idea Channel. 
Launched in March 2012 as part of PBS Digital Studios with their video Super Mario Brothers is the great world's greatest piece of surrealist art, Idea Channel, hosted by Mike Vagnetta, was a channel that really expanded my worldview to think more critically about the content and media that I consume and also take a more interdisciplinary approach to approaching the world. After all, if you could find parallels to classic mythology in the way social media had changed our relationship with brands, why couldn't I apply elements from one part of my life to another? Over the course of 366 videos, Mike and the team would delve into a variety of topics. One of the elements I really appreciated was that it wasn't just the team putting this idea out on the board, but an actual dialogue and conversation with the community at large in the days before Slack and Discord were a thing. Each video would be posted to Reddit, and viewers like me could chime in with their own perspective, and then shortly after, Mike would respond to some of the most interesting comments, uh, furthering the discussion in ways that the writing team hadn't thought of. It was a real yes-and improv self-environment for for promoting thinking more critically about content. Uh, there was definitely some comment response videos where I myself got my comments featured, which is a real ego boost for me that I had a, a, that I had a great idea myself. Uh, if you go back and watch, listen to the content comment response videos, uh, tag me if you ever if you come across whichever one uh, you think I was uh, responsible for. As far as what makes this so work, the presentation is key here. While early episodes certainly were on the shorter side, about 2-3 to three minutes long, toward the end they had ballooned out to about 15 minutes, though never really felt bloated. Uh, this was a combination of tight writing that had all the information the team wanted to get out to you about whatever social science they had researched that they were drawing connections to, while also peppering the so sense of humor uh, paired with last week tonight style reaction gifs you know, over the shoulder uh, to provide emphasis to whatever point was being made. Mike's delivery was also always earned and excited, kind of like your best friend, uh, eager to share something that they had just come across that they knew you'd be into, in a way that made otherwise scholarly and frankly boring topics be the hottest thing to think about. Unfortunately, PBS Idea Channel ended after five years in 2017. Michael Gnetta is still doing other things, producing some other podcasts and giving talks about internet culture. You can find those at his link site, which I'll link, as they say, uh, in the doobly-doo. Uh, that said, with over 350 videos to go through, I think it's worth going through the back catalog of Idea Channel videos uh, because there are really some wonderful ideas out there. Uh, in the 10 to 5 years since those videos have come out, it'll be interesting to go back and see how these conversations may have involved. Some videos that I would recommend starting with are... Doctor Who is a religion. And this particular mythos and collection of symbols really begins to coalesce into what Geertz might call a general order. Okay, but there is tons of media that features heroic figures, evildoers that postulates origins of the universe. Why aren't I making an episode about how Prometheus is a religion? Easy, because Prometheus was bad. Nah, just kidding. It's because of the fans. Sociologist Emil Durkheim said that it is in the midst of effervescent social environments and out of this effervescence itself that the religious idea seems to be born. And if effervescent doesn't describe the Who fandom, I don't know what does. Are brands mythological? Brands have taken on new meaning as of late. Usually associated with businesses, though often with people, modern brands are often conjured by visual markers or physical products, but in total they stand for something more, a cross between personality, design, and purpose. And a brand may be abstract, but that doesn't mean that it's not valuable. Often a brand is the most valuable thing an entity possesses. It's sort of like their reputation combined with persona, a persoputation or a repusona. I will say that when uh, PBS Idea Channel ended up ending, that was kind of 
the first spark that I had in my head of that I really wanted to make content, right? Like this was something that was a void in my life that was going to happen. And I just wanted to hop in and fill it myself with something. Obviously, it took me a while from, you know, that actually ending to my first podcast actually coming out. And I don't know if I've ever quite fully recaptured whatever it was myself that, uh, you know, PBS Idea Channel has. Though I will say in the future, I definitely will feature some other channels that I think are definitely in a similar uh, vein. Uh, next up, we have Ryan Higa. Hey, you. Who, me? Yeah, you. God. Want to learn how to defend yourself? Yeah. Aren't you tired of bullies picking on you all the time? Mm Mm-hmm. Well then, How to Be Ninja is a DVD for you. So, flashback to 2007. I'm a freshman in high school doing whatever nerdy Filipino freshman boys do at that age, spending a lot of time on the computer. Uh, We had these parties amongst Filipino families in my town where the parents would get together, do whatever it is that the parents did, I don't know, uh, and us kids would just be upstairs either playing video games or watching others play video games or reading their manga collections or watching anime that they had pirated. Uh, And we also shared videos that we had seen on this brand new website called YouTube. I'm talking about OG Rival classics. Uh, Charlie Bit My Finger, Charlie the Unicorn, Potter Puppet Pals, Ultimate Sword of Ultimate History, and many more. And one of those videos being passed around was How to Be a Ninja by a channel called Nigahiga. Now, the questionable sounding name aside, uh, I remember in junior junior year of high school, we had one teacher who would actually let us host our own Jeopardy games, and I made a category about YouTubers, uh, which you can kind of tell I, I've been obsessed with YouTubers for a long time, uh, but that, but having him be in that category led to some uh, questionable looks a bit when I, when I said what his name was. Um, but anyway, looking back at the channel of Ryan Higa would be a bellwether moment for not only my content journey, but also the development of content on YouTube as a whole. While Flash animation online from sites like Newgrounds had been a breeding ground for funniest content online uh, and could be a whole video in an uh, episode in and of itself, it still required some degree of technical know-how how to make Flash animation. And while you know you could have a viral hit with a random funny candid moment, it was and is still hard to capture on that virality for success. But Hawaiian native Ryan Higa and his friends happened on a model that would uh, spawn many many copycats: the comedic home sketch. Now, sir, the production quality wasn't great, using his mom's VHS camcord and whatever basic editing software they were had available. And sir, for a lot of these early videos, they may not have aged terribly well by modern-day standards of inclusivity with a lot of crude, problematic jokes at others' expenses. Uh, but at the same time, they, uh, and really we, didn't really know much better at the time. And if you're really, really generous, that kind of unfiltered raw energy in the pursuit of laughs kind of was their appeal that, you know, this was just a group of friends goofing around, having fun with each other in their own jokes and putting themselves out there to say with the world, albeit in a way that was a little bit more packageable without, you know, really needing to know all the end jokes. But I guess that was the point, right? You started developing these parasocial relationships with these people because you started to get their jokes. Uh, Ryan talks actually about this in a 2013 Draw My Life video. I noticed that the reason Dick was bullying me was to make people laugh. So I figured that if I could make them laugh and become the funny guy, they would stop treating me like I was less than them. And surprisingly, it worked. Every time they made fun of me, I ran with it, and I made fun of myself even more than they could. Kind of like that last rap battle that Eminem did in 8 Mile, except that movie didn't exist at the time, so he pretty much stole my idea. It's all good though, me and Eminem are like best friends forever now, not really. I still didn't have many friends, but at least I wasn't getting bullied anymore. 
But from that point on, I wanted to be funny. I started picking up my mom's VHS camcorder and recording little skits and videos for my family to watch. Now, Ryan's early videos often were these skits with his local friends just comically retelling movies or doing parody covers of songs or even rants of whatever topics crossed his mind that he called off the pill in reference to his ADHD. Hey guys, as you know, I made a bunch of rants a while back. You want to see them? Well, you can't. Because of copyrighted music, those videos are no longer available for you to view. So, I'm going to be recreating those rants and more, starting off with music. He would also, you know, in this time, kind of start developing that classic, you know, uh, YouTube comedy sketch quick cut editing style where, you know, you could probably ramble on and you just kind of cut out the best takes, put it together. Um, that could become a hallmark of YouTube videos of this time period. People, you know, definitely, rip, definitely, definitely ripping off of Ryan. Um, I know that there were definitely some, you know, just limp videos he and his friends had up uh, in the early days that have since been taken down due to copyright claim issues. Um, but, af you know, after graduate, kind of, you know, after these initial set of videos, Videos, he would eventually move up the production quality, collaborating with other YouTubers at the time, such as Kevin Jumba or Chester C. Uh, some of these were Dear Ryan skits that would take a request from a comment uh, and you know make a sketch out of it. Dear Ryan, can you be extreme? Push-ups, slow motion, run flips, jumping, slow motion running with explosions, parkour. Some of these were original songs, moving beyond the parody songs that they had uh, and you know the lip syncs. And some of these were just, you know, standalone skits that were just pretty funny. Yo, what's up? My name is Rave, and this is Rave's Dance Place for kids who can dance badass like. And I'm looking for dancers to join my hella epic dance crew. So if you can dance like this. Through his hard work, he was actually able to become the highest subscribed channel for nearly two years, uh, being also the first channel to ever hit two and three million subscribers. Now, he later moved after graduating high school from Hawaii to Las Vegas uh, to, to go to college there uh, before dropping out in 2012 to focus on YouTubing, uh, forming the Ryan Higa production company. Now, I'll be honest, uh, this is the part of his story where I stopped keeping up uh, with all of the videos that he put out. You know, I check in occasionally when he collabed with another YouTuber. Uh, for example, he was a judge for the internet reality TV show Internet Icon and formed a performance group that was called YTF with other YouTubers, as well as a parody K-pop group called BGA, Boys Generally Asian. Uh, but while I can't say that every video he He's put out uh, since has really appealed to me. I do have to give him credit for that. He knows what he's doing when it comes to making comedic sorts. Um, and rather than having me try to butcher exactly what makes it work, um, I'm going to throw it out. There's this YouTube channel I'm going to recommend also, kind of a bonus recommended for you, uh, called Project Kino. It has a video about how Ryan, Ryan Higa writes comedy so well. Here's a clip of it, but I'll link to that full video in the doobly-doo. And to be honest, I can even go as far as saying that all Ryan Higgins' sketches hang upon that very principle. You know the Illuminati isn't real, you know the Earth isn't flat, and you know he's definitely not fighting Alex Wasabi for real. And given that knowledge, our anticipation of the off chance that our expectations might be wrong is exactly why we stay for the whole video. And since Ryan has us emotionally invested, he can toy with that investment by intentionally interrupting important information. For example, in this escape room sketch, the key objective is to find the key. So when Ryan says, If you want to find the key, I could actually show you guys where- No! We need help! Actual help! And since Ryan has us worked up waiting for the answer, 
every line How many times do I have to tell you guys that I have a girlfriend? Is putting us And even me saying it out loud right now could get us all Then don't say it On the edge of our seats so in 2018, Ryan pivoted his content to focus more on an interview podcast, again, called Off the Pill. Uh, then, with the pandemic making in-person interviews not feasible, he since focused on streaming on his other channel, Higa TV. Originally, this was the behind-the-scenes channel for his travels or video or deleted videos and scenes, um, and then later game show type videos with his uh, um, production company, but now host clips from him play, streaming, playing games on Twitch, uh, and reacting to his older videos. While it's been over a year since his last upload to his original channel, Ryan's legacy and impact on the YouTube landscape cannot be understated. As far as where to start in his back catalog of over 400 videos, again, I'm not going to really recommend much of his newer stuff just because that's not stuff that I'm as familiar with. Um, and obviously some of his older stuff may not have aged so well, though they do kind of poke fun at that in the remake of How to Make a Ninja called How to Make Be a Ninja 2.0. You must be able to turn into an animal. Turn into a tree. Or maybe even a- Wait, 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 hold on. We can't say that one, remember? Why? That's, that's a gay slur now. We can't get away with saying that anymore. Right. All right, let's just go back and do it again. Personally, I think the classic ones are his collaborations and music videos uh, with other YouTubers. Uh, for example, his most popular video is a collaboration song called Nice Guys. Nice guys finish last, that's why I'll treat you like trash, it's not what I really want to do, but you only date bad guys, so I'll give you my best try to treat you where you want me to. I'll never open the door or pull out a chair, you can tell me how your day was, but I don't really care, and if you ever get cold, you'll just now, while obviously I can't comment on his more recent stuff since I have kind of grown out of that style of video, um, I will say that one video that I will recommend that's a little bit more recent is a stop motion video he made called Dancing Without Moving. It's really hard to get a sense for what how this works in audio, but basically he filmed a stop motion dance film. So he basically, uh, I believe he was like on the ground, it's been a while since I watched the video, but he basically just took thousands and thousands of shots uh, to make a stop motion video where it looked like he was dancing uh, when obviously he wasn't actually dancing he you know he's friends with a lot of dancers quest crew for america's best dance crew uh but he's not you know and while he has some moves you know sat out the best crew um he you know these are some moves that you know he wouldn't be able to pull off himself and he was able to do this really ambitious project to do so so sat out there from this kind of like this really creative video that he put out that i would definitely recommend that's again that's dancing without moving now, one thing about Ryan here that I hadn't really mentioned yet is his importance to me as a young Asian American. Um, at the time, before anime became popular and before Crazy Rich Asians was a super ice hit at the box office with an all-Asian cast, it was pretty rare to see Asian and Asian Americans in mainstream media in leading roles. We were, and to some degree still are, limited to stereotypes roles of the nerd or the kung fu artist or whatnot. And while Ryan did lead into those tropes for his early videos, it still was refreshing to see him and other YouTubers of Asian descent being the top dogs of the YouTube leaderboard, uh, having the most subscribers and whatnot. Michelle Fan in the beauty categories would be another example of this. Um, the next channel I'm going to rec have recommended for you is also falls in this category, uh, Wong Fu Productions. You're who I love. The girl on the pedestal, the fantasy, the make-believe things that are actually true. You're what I love. The depth, the inside jokes, the best friend. 
You are a one island. A new history is being started with you. We are the young lovers our older selves will someday reminisce about. You are where I love, because I'd go anywhere just to be with you. Now, Walker Productions was formed back in 2003 at UC San Diego. Uh, Wesley Chan, Ted Fu, and Philip Wang, uh, similar to Ryan Heegan and his friends, made a bunch of home videos, or I guess college videos. Uh, While you can't find them on the original channel anymore, they were actually first known for making music videos, you know, kind of lips, again, similarly lip-synced to popular songs at the time, such as Justin Timberlake's Senorita, uh, which kind of circulated within their college group. Um, A little, also a little bit more higher produced than, you know, what Ryan and his friends were making. Um, shortly after this, they moved into making sort narrative films. Now, what seemingly is groundbreaking, which you know, frankly, nowadays doesn't seem that groundbreaking, but at the time was that they were telling stories with an all Asian or mostly Asian American cast. Again, their friends who they could get, you know, being college students. Um, and while a lot of the sort films did touch on questions of race at the time. Um, which, again, wasn't really a conversation being had in the Asian American community at large, often the films were non-specific enough that they could very well have been an all-white cast. Um, but I think that's the beauty here, right? That by casting Asian Americans in roles that could go to anyone, they kind of proved the point that, yes, Asian Americans can do any role you ask of them. They don't have to be pigeonholed into these specific stereotype roles. Um, one other really cool element of featuring Asian American leads in their skits is that they actually have had some Asian actors from their skits go on to much larger projects. Uh, the two most notable names are Randall Park and Simu Liu, who are now part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, with Simu Liu getting his own Marvel film, Sang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, uh, in about a month or so. Um, and again, they appeared in early Wang Fu films. You know, other stars like this have been Harry Sum Jr. and Ki Hong Lee, so there's that kind of cool hipster fact of like, oh yeah, I knew who that guy was before he hit it big thanks to Wang Fu. Now, over the years, uh, they made more and more ambitious videos and projects. They moved on to act- making actual official music videos for groups like Far East Movement uh, and other you know, indie artists. Uh, some projects are standalone one-off sorts. Uh, some, again, are collaborations. For example, they helped Ryan Higa make this, the video uh, Agents of Secret Stuff, and then YouTuber Kev Jumba starred in a series called Fun Employed. Um, they also made a number of so- sort web series, uh, you know, usually with a corporate sponsor, uh, such as Away We Happened or Yappy or Single by 30, uh, uh, funded by YouTube Red. Um, some even followed up on their back catalog with, you know, the series Just Another Nice Guy following up to their earlier video Just a Nice Guy. And actually this weekend, they launched a 10-year anniversary series Strangers Never Again following up to their biggest video ever, Strangers Again. Uh, they've also made feature films in Everything Before Us, which has been released as a web series on their channel again. Um, and again, now some of the original members have stepped back from a more active role in making films of the channel. Um, and at the same time, they've also added other uh, production members to expand on what they can do. They also have a second channel called More Wang Fu, that is, well, More Wang Fu. It's where they have a casual conversation, so-called lunch break, and vlogs called Wang Fu Weekends. Uh, so, you know, that's definitely another place you can get, again, more Wang Fu. Now, if Ryan Higa opened mine and many others' eyes to the idea that, yes, you being you with your friends can make for good content, Wang Fu kind of elevated that, gave me a sense that there was more the content that by actually creating narratives as opposed to just funny jokes. Um, and again, th- that these narratives didn't have to be funny to be successful. 
confession time here, I actually ended up entering a Wong Fu ISATV uh, contest in college sponsored by AT&T called Take Your Shot. I actually made it the finalist round. Um, I ultimately had to drop out of the contest due to conflicts in my schedule with my classes, but as part of my school's Asian Heritage Week, we actually brought Wong Fu to campus. And I was actually able to, one, get them to sign the Beats headphones, which I won for making it to the finalist round, and two, get a shout out for them uh, for my YouTube channel, which I had aspirations of you know, building out at the time. Everyone, you're watching Ninja Boy Productions. Productions. Hey, what's up? This is Wes. Wong Fu Productions, you're watching Ninja Boy Productions. Now, while Wong Fu has been around since the A's and YouTube, since the early YouTube days, uh, I remember when their short film Yellow Fever was actually not on YouTube, but was shared on their own hosted website, which apparently led to some crazy high hosting costs before they moved to, po- to YouTube just because it got so popular. Um, their YouTube channel from 2007 does have nearly 600 uploads. So as far as what I to recommend, you obviously could go with some of their series, right? Yappy, Single by 30, Away We Happen, and many more. Um, be sure to check you know, the re-releases of Yellow Fever and Just a Nice Guy, as well as the other standalone sorts like Strangers Again, The Last, After Us, and This Is How We Never Met. Now, as I noted, the follow-up series revisiting some of their original works um, are also there, again, Strangers Never Again and Just Another Nice Guy. If life separates us and we end up in totally different places, we'll always remember when our paths align for this period of time. And I'll be thankful for that. And hope that wherever you are, you'll be thankful too. And I think that's the best we can wish for. Now, if you want some of the more comedic side of things, um, and also stuff that kind of, again, touches a little bit more directly on Asian American identity issues, um, Asian Bachelorette and Asian Bachelorette 2 are great places to start, as well as Asian Disney Princess. 13 seasons. 325 men, but only three Asians, ever. That's 0.9% of the show. This season, we're making up for lost time. Um, they're also part of Ryan Higa's uh, BGA K-pop parody stuff, as well as a video called Food Pick War, which are great to check out as well. We are boys generally Asian. In addition, if you want to support Wang Fu more actively, uh, you can actually subscribe to their Patreon. Uh, they call it uh, the shareholder program to get early access to their videos and whatnot. Now, for a fourth fort YouTube channel to be recommended this week, we have Captain Christian. So if you've been following my YouTube journey so far, it goes, you know, something like at the advent of YouTube around my high school days, I was super into comedic skits of Ryan Hegan and the like. Um, and then in college, shifted to watch more narrative short films by Wong Fu Productions. Um, as I neared graduation and, you know, the real world, interesting conversations started about culture, quickly breaking down things uh, is why PBS Idea Channel became my favorite. Um, from here, we see the rise of what I call my video essay phase. Now, while there are any number of creators who I could point to this example who still actually still making uh, examples of this medium, the ones who really opened my eyes to what could be done here was Captain Christian. 
Now, compared to some of the other creators who featured this episode, the captain doesn't really talk much. Uh, between 2016 and 2019, he released 30 videos total, uh, with his last upload being nearly two years ago at this point. So who knows if he's ever actually going to come back. But yet, he always comes back to my head uh, as someone who I definitely want to be recommending. And whenever he does come into my feed, I will absolutely drop everything and anything to watch the video in its entirety. PBS IDA channel was a dialogue, like I said. Mike and the team proposing an idea, a new framework to think about the world around us, and then having us respond back to them. Captain Christian's video essays are more like lectures, but more so than lectures, actually like works of art. So it doesn't really introduce as much back and forth dialogue as what PBS IDA channel might offer, but he conveyed the ideas in such a way that it, that it just tickled my brains in a meta way that pleased me to no end. Part of this was just the construction of the concept in, for each video. Now, here, here's an example, right? Uh, in his video about Dr. Seuss and how the use of rhyme in his books to help uh, help kids uh, fall in love with reading, Christian himself uses the same rhyming techniques uh, he's describing to make this point. There's a structure to language we all learn when we're young, a flow to the words that could almost be sung, something most of us learned from the great Dr. Seuss, with his chartreuse villain's rhythm reminiscent of Mother Goose, and his imaginative world so perplexingly abstruse, told with a simplified language even a kid could deduce. His name was Theodore Geisel, the man who coined the word nerds, and wrote Green Eggs and Ham with just 49 words. He made reading- While not every video he makes is quite out of the box like this, uh, they all have the same care and consideration put into the writing of the script to make sure that one idea will flow seamlessly to the next with a rhythm that feels like a poem. It's if it were just the audio though, you know, that could just be an audio podcast or something similar that I'm not actually actively paying attention to. I'm actually guilty nowadays of mostly consuming YouTube videos kind of in the background without actually watching the video. Often while I'm working to have something on in the background, especially if I'm working in spreadsheets. Uh, Christian's videos absolutely though require you to your full undivided attention um, as all of the video editing and the after effects works uh, to you know, of things flying in and out of images and clips and words to emphasize and highlight his points, um, you know, with a, clear, with a clear color palette. You know, it's choreographed like a, like a Russian ballet. It's a sight to behold. The same, you know, I can't really describe how this works uh, in an audio format since it's such a visual medium. But trust me, the work he puts in is absolutely worth it. I mean, the man has color coordinated the thumbnails on his video page so that they go in wordsy bit order um, whenever you sort of in chronological order, which, you know, just takes some force for that. Now, while he may not update as much anymore publicly, he does have a Patreon, but I'm not sure if he's actually uploading anything behind that paywall. Um, it's a case where the master has few words, but when the master speaks, you pay attention. While I would recommend you just take a few hours and just binge his entire 30-video 30, 30 back catalog, you know, and obviously the best starting point would be, you know, find a video that he's made about a topic you like, uh, be it Superman, Bugs Bunny, Childish Gambino, Newgrounds, David Fincher, or Pokemon. Um, I would strongly recommend his video on Who Framed Roger Rabbit as a guide to better understand the animation in that film. This is called Bumping the Lamp. A phrase coined by Disney during the production of Roger Rabbit to describe going above and beyond what was expected of the animators. It would have been perfectly feasible if Roger stayed flatly illuminated throughout the scene like a cartoon normally would, but instead, the animators put in the time to shade every cell uniquely so that the practical light would bounce off from the same way it would a physical object. Another such video that I would recommend to you would be his video about the history of Toonami and its role in the anime fandom here in the West. There's always been one essential component in the way we consume entertainment, and that's curation. We look to curation with our music, our films, our television, 
a sort of cultural gatekeeper to oversee a library too large to sift through alone. And for most of us who grew up in a pre-social media age, our gateway into the world of anime came from one place. We call it Toonami. Now, for the final chapter of my journey through my favorite content creators of history, um, we're going to move off the YouTube platform to the world of podcasting. So after I graduated college and moved to the corporate world, I couldn't have YouTube up on my screen all day, lest I get into some uncomfortable conversations with my boss about productivity given our open office layout. Uh, to that end, I started listening to podcasts. And also, fun fact, I didn't have a smartphone until I graduated college, so I actually couldn't listen to podcasts until then. Um, if you remember 2014, Serial was the biggest craze in podcasting, and everyone was crazed about podcasts. Um, I was exploring different popular shows at the time, including This American Life and Planet Money. Uh, one day on Planet Money, there was a feature about a show called Startup from a former reporter of theirs called Alex Bloomberg about how he's trying to start a podcasting company. I subscribed and listened along for the time being uh, about the behind-the-scenes drama of life as a startup founder. Naturally, as a podcasting company, uh, he would need to have new shows, and the very first of those shows, aside from the startup podcast, uh, would be bringing over the team of Alex Goldman and PJ Vote from WNYC, who had been hosting a show called TLDR. When they moved to Gimlet, they rebranded as Reply All. Ostensibly, Reply All is a show about the internet, but really, it uses tangentially related internet stories as a deeper exploration of the modern human condition. Uh, just to get straight to some recommendations, perhaps the episode that really put them on the map for the larger audience, even outside of podcast fanatics, uh, is the two-part series called Long Distance. So the premise is that Alex Goldman had been receiving a lot of scam calls from an Indian call center. You know, the typical, hey, this is Microsoft, you've been the victim of hacking, let me remote into your computer and poke around to see if I can fix it. Um, being somewhat internet savvy, he obviously didn't fall for it, but he was curious about what kind of person would do such an internet scam, uh, and, and somehow, inexplicably, ended up developing a relationship with a scam scammers who somehow kept calling him back or he would call them back. Um, and the story ends up at the end, you know, with him flying out to India uh, to try to find the call center and meet up with his uh, supposed friend out there. I won't spoil what happens at the end, but it's a highly entertaining journey throughout. Um, just a great story, you know, something that you'd hear a friend talk about like, hey, I did this crazy thing or I heard my friend do this crazy thing. Six months ago, I got a phone call from someone pretending to be Apple computers. And just through sheer force of will, and I guess a lot of free time, me and Damiano managed to figure out a lot about these people. And now an ex-manager who parted on bad terms is inviting me to India. And I asked him, hey, now that you don't work there anymore, will you tell me everything I want to know? And he said yes. Please keep your seats in an upright position. I mean, how could I not go? Of course, not every episode was as ambitious as this one, but they all have their own appeal. Uh, one segment that they would often return to time and time again is the Yes, Yes, No segment. Uh, here, PJ and Alex Goldman, who are more internet savvy than their box, Alex Bloomberg, uh, bring up tweets that bring together like three or four different things happening on Twitter at the same time, uh, often with PJ and Goldman being in the yes that they understand what's going on and being Bloomberg being firmly in the no, the goal being that they're going to try to explain it to Bloomberg so that everyone gets to yes. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, this clip comes from an episode called Apocalypse Soon. I think this is the most complicated tweet that you've brought into a yes, yes, no. Um, 
And I think you're right. Like, I think if you can understand this tweet, it is like a codex for everything that's happened on the internet in 2018 so far, like all two weeks. Um, I also think that probably the reason that's called the four horsemen of the apocalypse is that I think the person who made this tweet feels like once you understand and combine these four memes, you will sort of feel like we're approaching the end of the world. Um, so that's where we want to get you. But this is like dense. There's a lot here. I'm yes, I'm prepared to settle in. Let's do the ritual. Okay. PJ vote. Do you understand this tweet? I understand a lot of this tweet. I don't understand all this tweet. I know about the the white man with the green hat, and I know about the red bird. Uh, I know about the Tide Pods and the bears and the white guy in the green hat. Okay. Oh, so okay. I think we might be at about 100%. Between us, we have one yes. <laughs> Alex Bloomberg, do you understand this? No. Tweet? No. I understand no quadrant. They also have super tech support, which harkens back to Goldman's life as a network administrator, where he tries to solve listeners' questions that he uh, that they that they call him to the show with, um, that like the show are at least tangentially related to technology. Uh, this particular episode came out just before the pandemic hit. Um, it is, I think, one of their all-time greats called "The Case of the Missing Hit." Then you ran it through the thing and you figured out what it was. We put it into Soundhound. No result. Uh huh. But we now had like a real version of the song. We could go play it for people. We could find somebody who recognized it. I had this feeling like I was carrying almost like an artifact in my pocket. Like we had plucked this song from whatever late 90s Napster graveyard it had been interred in. And it was ours now. You know, it was like having a baby Triceratops in my pocket. So I figured the best place to take this would be to music critics. So I called Brendan Klinkenberg. He's a senior editor at Rolling Stone. Okay, here we go. I do not know this song. Okay. I'm sorry. Um, let me, do you want me to grab some people like in a conference room? Yes. Oh my God. Yes, please. I can get, there's a, there's a bunch of people who would be better suited to have heard this. On top of all that, they also have call-in episodes where they just react to listeners who want to talk to them about anything, uh, which is really where the chemistry between Alex and PJ sign. And that's kind of what makes the show tick. You know, again, I think it was part of my natural evolution for this taste. Prior to this, I had been under the impression that most podcasts were just long, rambly, unstructured conversations that usually the content contained within was not that interesting. You were just listening to the vibes of the of the people talking on the on on the microphone. Uh, so you had NPR podcasts that were high produced quality and were actually informative and giving you information, but those were the exception and, and not the rule. And again, generally the focus was on the content of like, hey, I'm teaching you something interesting. Thing, not so much the you know camaraderie between hosts, uh, even though I'm sorry behind the scenes they have that. Reply all struck the balance by bringing in you know the 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 goofy banter between these two genuine friends who had worked together for such a long time, kind of like the early Ryan Higa videos, while also bringing in highly produced narrative stories that uh, had you on the edge of your seat as you wanted to hear what happened next, similar to the Wong Fu production sketches. In a similar way to PBS Idea Channel, again, Reply All ended up doing the old bait and switch. You know, it br- bringing one thing I was already interested in, you know, t- some aspect of internet culture, but then using it as a Trojan horse to get me to think more critically and more widely about the world and human- humanity in general. 
and like Captain Christian, uh, Reply All used the medium of the show itself as a performance piece, you know, not just strictly conveying information in a purely factual manner. Um, of the many podcasts I listen to now, very, very few really nail that balance of all these four elements in the same way. And one of the other element, element that really stands out is just how vulnerable they also make the hosts make themselves here and put themselves into their pieces. You know, obviously podcasts can be a very, you know, personal journey. And sometimes, you know, corporate podcasts feel not quite that, right? It feels very, um, it feels very, you know, hey, here's the story we want to tell. I'm kind of like a unbiased supporter. But, you know, while, you know, to some degree, Reply All is a form of a journalism, right? It's not, it's still not like the same journalism, say, the Wall Street Journal of the New York Times. It's still like a very, a lot of the stories are very personal stories, like very personal human stories with human emotions. And by having Alex and PJ lean into their emotions here, they're able to tell those human stories, which I think is the secret to their and most great content creators' success. Now, I would be remiss to talk about uh, Applyall if I didn't mention uh, the recent changes that have been happening over there. Now, without getting into too much rubbernecking and drama baiting and whatever, earlier this year, they were producing a series about the food magazine Bon Appetit, which kind of had an internal implosion related to structural racism within the company that led to an exodus of talent from the test kitchen. Ironically, as they were reporting this story, uh, halfway through the series, accusations were pointed out from former staffers regarding the similar toxicity within the senior reply all and Gimlet teams, which ended up leading to the resignation of uh, PJ Vote and producer Suthi Pimaneni from the show. Uh, producer Emmanuel Jochi has already had already been elevated to a third co-host, so he and Alex Goldman are continuing on with the show since then. Um, they've actually started putting out episodes recently, um, though they kind of have an on-again, off-again schedule. Now, I will say personally, the ratio of shows I really, really like relative to the total amount of shows they've put out in recent, you know, in recent months haven't been as high as they were at their all-time peak. Uh, but that's okay, right? Like with Ryan Higa and like with Wang Fu, either my own tastes have just sifted over time as I've grown up as an individual, um, or perhaps they've sifted the, the way that what type of content they're making um, that's different than what I originally signed up for, or maybe it's a little bit of both, right? And again, that's okay. I think I can still appreciate the shows from the past that have come out that were bangers. Speaking of, again, in addition to all the ones already mentioned, if you do want to explore the back catalog, I recommend a couple now. I think they're episodes 30 to 50 Feral Hogs, uh, The Roman Mars, Mars the Virus, uh, The Snapchat Thief, and Boy in the Photo are all excellent places to start. They also actually have a list of recommended shows uh, to get started with on the Reply All Gimlet Media website. Um, but here's a clip from 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. I will say that after an hour on the phone, Willie had made at least one convert, me. I now believe in the feral hog problem. I believe it is a glorious fiasco. I've spent the past month interviewing farmers and hunters and economists and experts and writers and also my cousin Kip. Feral hogs is now basically all I can talk about. And look, I'm not saying that feral hogs is the only thing we should talk about as a country. I get that there's a lot going on right now, but I just feel like feral hogs should be in the top 10. Like. I live in New York City. Sometimes I have to deal with rats. If the rats were 400 pounds and attacking my apartment in gangs of 30 to 50, I just feel like it would be a topic of conversation. So this week, we're doing it. This is a Reply All special investigation into the feral hog invasion of America, starting after the break. At the end of the day, we all have media that saves us at different points in our life. And if you're a content creator like myself, the content you consume will definitely have an impact on the content, not only your own worldview, but also the content that you make yourself. 
After all, they say no one really has an original idea anymore. It's all just a massive of everything that's come before. And when it comes to knowing where we will go to the future, you can really only know do that if you know where you came from and what your influences are. These are just the beginnings of my own journey with my content creation, and this is the beginning of my journey with Recommended for You. But knowing where it began as a content creator, I can't wait to see where this journey is going to take me in the future. That's it for this episode, this week's edition of Recommended for You. Let me know what you think about these content creators who saved me. What are your favorite content creators who saved your thoughts on your content, whether you still love them now or whether they were just a certain time stuck in the past for you? Um, who are your favorite ones now? And you know, if you're making content yourself, who are your biggest influences? You can let me know at rex pod on Twitter or recommendedforyou at gmail.com. That's R-E-C. S-F-O-R-Y-O-U-P-O-D on Twitter, or you can check out the show notes and the doobly-doo, as well as any links to all the creators featured on this week's episode, in addition to where you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Leave a review or recommendation or recommend this to your friend, and be sure to follow us on Twitter to get the daily content creator recommendations each weekday. If you have a creator who you'd like to recommend to me, be sure to tag me and let me know. Uh, you, they may end up getting featured in a future episode. You never know. Uh, clips used in the show are obviously the property of their respective creators and music provided by Blue Dot Sessions. Next week on Recommended for You, we'll dive into what probably will be the next evolution of my content consumption at this point, which is taking a hard left turn from everything I just talked about this episode, uh, Food YouTube. But until then, I'm Paulo, this is recommended for you, and may the algorithm always feed you the content you desire.